Second Peter, right behind First Peter, toward the back of the New Testament. And let's start by reading our passage this morning, verses 5 through 11. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness Love, that's agape love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his or her purification from his or her former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to demonstrate his calling, And choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And in this way, your entrance into the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. My wife Debbie grew up across the street from a family that included two children, a girl and a boy. And the boy's name was Skipper, at least his nickname was Skipper. And Skipper, unfortunately, had a a medical or physical problem, disorder, such that as his body developed from a baby to a a little boy to a teenager and finally to an adult, Skipper's mind, his mentality, never grew beyond that of an 18-month-old toddler. Very, very tragic situation. But as sad as Skipper's physical situation was, even sadder, I think, is the spiritual situation of a believer in Christ who, after receiving the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins, never grows in his or her faith beyond the level of a spiritual toddler. That kind of person, in effect, is a spiritual Skipper. And the big difference, though, between Skipper's physical problem and sometimes our spiritual problem in this area is uh, Skipper couldn't fix it. There's nothing Skipper could do. There's nothing that medical science could do. But uh, when a believer never grows beyond uh, a very minimal level spiritually, as we saw last week in verses 3 and 4 of Second Peter, um, it's not God's fault. In fact, we said it ain't God's fault. Remember, we said ain't ain't a word. That's why ain't ain't in the dictionary, except ain't isn't the dictionary now as a poor use of grammar. And today we're going to pick up on that theme. We're talking about spiritual growth in believers. And uh, it's interesting. The Word of God doesn't just tell you where you're wrong or tell me where I'm wrong. It tells us how to get back on the track for every problem that gives us a solution. And the solution uh, to... Uh, underachieving spiritually is this primer on spiritual growth we're going to read about and think about in verses 5 through 11 today. So let's uh, pray that we'll be teachable uh, to God's word in this area. And also let's pray for those in the military who protect us and our uh, peace officers and our our firefighters, okay? So uh, Von Driggs, hate to put you to work here on your day off there, brother, but if you would... uh, Pray that we'll be teachable to God's word and uh, pray for those who protect and serve us, okay? Thank you, Vaughn. Excuse me there. Yeah, let's uh, warm up our capacity for abstract thought by looking at some church signs that are funny. You may not have seen a few of these. According to the Good Shepherd, United Methodist Church, experts made the Titanic, but amateurs made the ark, which is a good thing to remember. Life is fragile, handle with prayer. That's good. Need a lifeguard? Dayspring Community Church. Ours walks on water. Our lifeguard is better than your lifeguard. I like this one. Life without God is like an unsharpened pencil. No point. And finally, uh, Northgate Baptist Church. God, help me to be the person my dog thinks I am. And, you know, we had the both sets of twins this weekend. I was like, uh, God, help me to be the person 
my granddaughters think I am, you know, because I, I totally have them fooled. It's amazing. Uh, the message of this book basically says that a Christ-centered hope about the future, excitement about the future, should motivate believers. Put your name in the blank if you're a believer. Uh, Doug Strange or Pam Cox. To embrace a lifestyle of true holiness. I think of it as wholeness. And to avoid the heresies of false teachers. And they're always out there. If we want to kind of summarize the book, uh, it's like a, an arch over a three-story building. The arch is at the very end of the book, Growing Grace and Knowledge. But we talk about holiness or spiritual growth in chapter 1, the dangers of heresy, people denying the key moral or doctrinal truths of the faith in chapter 2, and then hope is looking forward to that which has been promised, not hoping something nice might happen in the future. Okay. Now, i got a little surprise for you. I need three volunteers, and so I'm going to select uh, Henry, Clay, and Jack to be my volunteers. So if you guys would come up here, Jack uh, Mitchell, not Jack Smith. We'll get you next week, Jack. Yeah, now, this is going to be a surprise for everybody. So I, uh, let's, Clay, come on down here. Let's kind of center on the pulpit there. Spread out a little bit. You're going to need some room. Uh, if I can get this in the right order. I don't want them to see it. So just kind of grab this, and I'll have you turn around in sequence. So that's going to, this is going to be chapter one. Just hold that. Don't turn around yet. And this is going to be chapter 2. What's chapter 1 about, folks? Yeah, holiness, spiritual growth, right? Here's chapter 2. Yeah, don't, don't turn around yet. Jack, you got... And that's... Uh, what's chapter 2? Nice. And then chapter 3, Jack, is what? What's chapter 3, folks? Okay, now, I'm trying to come up with... Uh, and. I want to thank Anthony uh, Foreman who made these visual aids up for me, but I thought uh, one way we could remember these uh, three chapters and walk through the whole book is with some kind of mnemonic device. So uh, holiness is number one, so turn that around, Uh, play. That's holiness in that card. But, of course, holiness, uh, kadosh in the Hebrew and agios, hagios in, in the Greek, just means to be set apart from something or set apart for something special and you know i would say sex is too good to waste outside of marriage sex should be holy in that sense you know and the christian life should be special because god's called you to do great things spiritually in your character you may not become a bank president or a world-class athlete not all of us get those gifts but uh, he calls us to be world-class people in our character and we can get there uh chapter two is uh heresy That's a hairy C, right? And that's either uh, Bozo the Clown's hair or maybe President Trump's hair, one or the other, I'm not sure. And then, uh, you know, about Ronald Reagan, as he got older, his hair got more and more uh, strange color. It never turned gray. And somebody said, is that his real, real, real hair uh, color? And his wife said, no, it's just prematurely orange. Because it was kind of turning orange toward the end, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, chapter 3 is hope. And, and you know, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we're looking forward to the one who came the first time as the lamb to come in the end times as what? A lion? Yeah. So we'll use, we'll use those visual aids. Thank you, Anthony. Maybe give Anthony a round of applause for that. So would you stack those up and put them over there for me? Yeah. Now, last time we introduced a new acronym, SGIB, S-G-I-B stands for Spiritual Growth in Believers. And we're talking about uh, a spiritual primer for spiritual growth who have already, for folks who have been reborn in Christ. This is not a list of things you do to try to earn your salvation. These are the kind of things that ought to come out as the fruit of our salvation. And we're going to see... These verses break down like this. First, we're going to see some prime characteristics, this list of virtues uh, of spiritual growth in believers. Then we'll see some practical results of spiritual growth in believers, some possible causes for a lack of spiritual growth in believers, and finally, some positive 
motivations for spiritual growth in believers, right? So let's look at that first part of this, prime characteristics of spiritual growth in believers. And when you read this list about uh, with diligence, add to your faith, moral excellence, and then knowledge, and then self-control, and perseverance, and uh, godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love, don't think of these as steps, like, David, first thing you got to do is focus on moral excellence, and once you nail that down, then you can go to the next step, which is self-control. These aren't distinct sequential things. They're overlapping realities. And so just uh, as an attempt to kind of show that, these are things that ought to be coming out of our Christian lives as we're walking in Christ and taking in his word as not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, you know. Uh, so that's the first thing. It's kind of general, but moral excellence, living according to God's truth, with a heart that's abiding in Christ. So we're doing the right thing the right way. Second thing he says should be a prime characteristic of uh, Ray Ward's spiritual growth and Henry Ward's spiritual growth and uh, Jamie Ward's spiritual growth. It doesn't matter how old you are or uh, what culture, country, or color you're, you have. Uh, it's all about what the Spirit does in believers as we seek and submit to Him. Walk in the Spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the Flesh, sarks, really means sin nature. Uh, you got a sin nature. God does not do a sin nature ectomy on you when you come to faith. So you're capable of saying no to the unctions of the Spirit to do the right thing. And we've all, you know, we all sin in many ways, as James says. But we can't get there. You don't have to be Billy Graham or even James Mitchell to become a super uh, spiritual Christian. First thing is moral excellence. Second thing we need to focus on is knowledge. And we've been talking about uh, a full knowledge, a heart knowledge of Scripture that is actually becomes convictions in our heart that drives our choices, our worldview. That's kind of the the essence of spiritual growth at one level, and we've emphasized that's the word epignosis. I like what Homer said. It's kind of like epic gnosis. Epi is the Greek uh, prep for over and above. But watch this in verse two. For the first time in this chapter, we're not talking about epinosis, we're talking about gnosis. What's the difference? I'm glad you asked me that. Gnosis is the raw material for your spiritual growth, but it won't do it by itself, because by itself it puffs you up, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, or puffs me up. Gnosis is mental awareness of information from the Bible or from the Constitution or from People magazine. Epinosis is information embraced as truth, not just your head, but your will, your convictions, you embrace this thing as really true and as a binding on you. Uh, gnosis is like knowing about flying an airplane from riding on a couple of airplane flights. I bet Vaughn's fly- done some flying in his time. Uh, you a pilot, Vaughn? Uh, Stan was a pilot for many years, and it's a, it's a big difference between uh, riding on an airplane and being a pilot, right? And some of us have done some flying uh, as passengers, and so we know what that's like, but we don't really know flying like a real pilot, a true pilot who's able to actually fly an airplane. And you know what, Trevor? It's just about takeoff and landing. Okay, uh, that's the that's the hard part. Anybody else can just fly an airplane. I've flown, I've flown airplanes, but I can't take them off or land them. Uh, gnosis is consciousness of information. It's biblical consciousness about biblical truth. If you're talking about that, whereas epinosis is biblical conviction. So Jack. Jack Mitchell, even on prom night, realizes there are certain places you don't go and certain things you don't do, and yet you don't have to do anything illegal or immoral to have a whale of a good time. You know that? I mean, I know nobody who's more fun than I am. I'm Mr. Fun. I'm, just call me Dr. Fun. There is no off position on the fun machine in my heart. Okay, I'm nothing but fun. Uh, but I, I, I try to avoid the illegal, immoral kind of stuff. You don't, you don't need that. So let's talk about, uh, yeah, head, heart. Look at this. When you think about the heart, uh, if you're a medical person, you might think of the, the pump that pushes the blood around. But the uh, Word of God talks about the heart in the spiritual sense. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's a critic of the thoughts and the intents of the, of the heart. You know, the, Sherry's heart spiritually is her mind and her will. Uh, gnosis, epinosis. It's what you think about and what you embrace is true for you and is real. It's not just consciousness of moral or doctrinal facts. It's those things as convictions in your heart that form your whole worldview. 
That's the difference between gnosis and epinosis. So he lists gnosis here, just basic knowledge, because it is the spiritual raw material, but uh, it's it's not going to uh, do much for you if you just process it at a mental level, except you'll be, become a more uh, aware, uh, either carnal Christian or self-righteous unbeliever. I think it's important that if you really think knowledge is important of Scripture, you're going to be in the Word regularly yourself. You're going to be under the Word consistently. And now not really starting a local church, but uh, relative to that, I mean, somebody like Blanche writes this uh, Bible Ballistics blog, and she'll send it to your email box every day, six, six days a week, and you can get some really good information from that. The cool thing about the reason that the reason that Al Gore invented the Internet, he said he did. He also invented global warming, this whole different thing. But anyway, the, the reason he invented that, he didn't know it, was so that I could access soniclight.com, Dr. Tom Constable's notes 24-7, or biblegateway.com, uh, or uh, the Dallas Seminary website 24-7, so I get all this good stuff to help me grow. And so you can, there's no excuse nowadays not to be in another word. You can use your phone right in church to access information. So moral excellence, knowledge, self-control. This is a word used in the secular literature of the day for champion Olympic athletes who would exert self-discipline and self-restraint in their training and in their lifestyle. Why? To max out their performance between the lines, right? You do all that self-discipline so you can be yourself at your very best, right? So I think that self-control involves a lifestyle that avoids thinking, saying, doing things which are not spiritually profitable. It involves not allowing our emotions to totally control us. I think our emotions should be appreciators more than initiators. Our initiators ought to be our convictions that don't change when you have a head cold or a migraine or you uh, have the flu or something like that, uh, that kind of thing. Perseverance, one of my personal favorite uh, character virtues in Scripture. Uh, this is one of those Greek words you need to know. Okay, uh, This is the word hupa mene. Hupa mene is translated perseverance or endurance. And uh, I know Carla has heard me say this a few hundred times. Hupa mene is just a holy hanging in there such that when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, uh, you tie a knot in faith, you doubt your doubts, and you just hold on to the Lord. You keep on trusting and obeying the Lord, even when there doesn't seem to be any earthly reason to keep on trusting and obeying the Lord. And uh, that's what First Peter says repeatedly. Now, Second Peter kind of assumes you've read First Peter, and he's emphasizing that again. Uh, this is kind of my working description of perseverance. Uh, perseverance is being routinely faithful, not just once a week or for six weeks at a time or six months at a time, but over the years in a marriage, uh, in a relationship with your kids, uh, with the, certainly with a relationship with the Lord, being routinely faithful in our walk here with the Lord, both when things are going good and when things are going bad. Uh, if I could borrow some wording from something else, in rich, when you're richer, poorer, for better or for worse, where do I get that? Those are kind of your standard English wedding vows nowadays. A lot of people don't even know this is in the Bible, but I love this. In Proverbs 30, Agur, who writes this chapter, says, Two things I've asked of the Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Number one, keep deception and lies far from me, and give me neither poverty nor great riches. When's the last time you heard Joel Olstein tell you to pray that prayer? Give me neither poverty nor great riches. And then the, this is Agra's point of view. Uh, feed me with the food that's my portion so that I not be so full that I'll deny you and say, who's, who's the Lord? I don't need God. I've got a nice house. I've got plenty to eat. I can get all I want at Walmart 24-7. Or that I not be so poor I'd be in want and steal and profane the name of the Lord. So there's a guy who realizes his, his limitations and the fact he can be tempted uh, he wants to be right in the middle, and we'll see if God... Uh, and, you know, for me, I've said this a few times, but it's really true. When I went into the ministry, uh, I had no desire of Ben to become rich or famous. And you know what? 35 and a half years later, I'm I'm on track, man. It is working. I'm not rich or famous. So it's really, it's been a great deal. Uh, yeah, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. Hey, listen, Kitty, 
This is not a list you can use to critique Sue Smith better. And I know you wouldn't do that. Or anybody else. This is a list God can use to fashion convictions that this stuff ought to be important enough to you. You make the time and make the effort to make uh, progress there. God's going to empower you to do it, but uh, you, you're also involved as well. I forgot to quote this kind of a paraphrase from the MacArthur Study Bible. The Christian life is not lived to God's glory without effort. Even though God pours his power into the believer, or as we saw last week, he's always going to give you as a believer everything you need spiritually to be or become in your character, everything he wants you to be or become. Even though God pours his power into us to permit us to give us what we need to grow spiritually, the Christian himself or herself is required to make a disciplined effort alongside that. So you have statements like Philippians 2, 12, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for it. It says work it out to its intended conclusion. You've got to put the effort in. It's kind of like uh, the reason that so many people my age kind of have big paunches is because it snacks up on them, you know. And the, the older I get, the, the more appetite I've got and the less interest I've got in burning it off. And so, I mean, you, it's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope there. All right, look at godliness and brotherly kindness. I think in your notes I've got those listed without a break on purpose because I met over the years as a pastor and even before I was a pastor and a professional Christian full-time, you know, uh, I met a lot of Christians who were kind of like the church lady, very negative, very picky about everybody else, kind of letter of the law, pharisaical in their thinking. Uh, to me, godliness isn't being um, harder to please with everybody else. It's seeing God in every area of your life, you know, e- even the bad stuff. So Joseph says, hey, hey guys, you intended it for evil. God intended it for good. He actually believes in the sovereignty of God there. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that shows true godliness. Watch this, Vaughn. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, not hallowed be my name. Thy kingdom come, not my ship come in. Thy will be done, not my will be done. You see that? I mean, Joel Osteen's not going to tell you that, okay? This is not self-help program. This is not you decide what what God's to-do list is this week. This is you, you know, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, having received his grace in, in faith. And it makes you uh, somebody, well, I'd say Jesus is probably a really good example of godliness. And he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. He wasn't so, uh, he wasn't like somebody with a, uh, uh, what should I say, uh, radio act, spiritual radioactivity that repelled people. He actually was able to attract people so he could interact with them. I don't think he was compromised. I don't think we want to com- uh, critique him for doing that, do we? I wouldn't really critique him for doing that. And I think he's a pretty good model for godliness, much better than Joel Osteen, in my opinion, you know, or anybody else you can think of. But watch this. Yeah, some people get so godly, and they hammer out their convictions to such a fine point, and they hammer out moral convictions that are more specific than God's, which you have a perfect right. I do some stuff that's more specific than Scripture, but I don't expect you to do that. Um, nor would I judge you or look down my nose at you because you're not as strict in that area as I am. I've probably got some areas of Christian liberty you wouldn't do. You, don't, you wouldn't think would be ideal. But uh, uh, you hammer that out. So godliness is seeing God in every area of your life, becoming more like Jesus, could we say? And so that will not make you a church lady who's not able to connect with real people. Uh, we don't want to uh, affirm their bizarre, bizarro beliefs. I mean, try teaching at college people sometimes at this point. We're going to start our fifth week of this semester, and some students act like it's so hard to take a college course. And I would say, well, you ought to try to teach a college course. Because <laughs> I got I do more work before class than they do. I do more class after class, just the paperwork, than most of them do. And i got to make up these tests and grade them. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but brotherly kindness there, and that would be sisterly kindness if you're talking about relating to uh, the sistren in the church. I, and I'm the oldest of four. I've got three sisters. And when Timothy is told as a pastor, treat the, the ladies in your church like your sisters, I, I, I get that. I totally get that. So I mean, I've always seen it that way. And uh, I actually like a lot of ladies in this church better than my sisters. But that's just, that, that's just me, you know. But I don't see them very much anymore. But uh, 
And thank you for praying for my mom. You know, last week uh, when we were standing here, I wasn't sure if she was going to even survive a few days, and she got out of the hospital on Wednesday. She's basically back to the physical status she was before the episode, which turned out not to be a stroke, not to have any serious brain damage. It was just an unusual combination of a infection and some some meds that got mixed up and stuff. And so, man, she's an amazing lady. So me and my sisters have interacted a lot this past week, more than we usually do, as we've kind of compared notes and been praying for my mom. But anyway, I connected godliness with brotherly kindness or sisterly kindness just because really godly people can connect with other believers, even if they have a different eschatological chart than you do. You know, we talked about the things that bind us as Christians, and we talked about uh, things that we can disagree with without, you know, being scandalized about. Uh, you can be the greatest uh, Armenian thinker in the world, and you got to admit, Martin Luther has done a whole lot for the kingdom, probably more than you'll ever do. And, you know, and I, I look at that as somebody kind of as an Amiraldi in between the two, and I realize there's a lot of great Calvinists, a lot of great Armenians who've done a lot more of the kingdom than I, than I ever will, even though they're wrong on the fine points of their theology. So, you know, I'm gracious enough to admit that. So, and I say that tongue in cheek because I have a feeling when we get to heaven, God will probably fine tune all of our theologies, right? It's possible. Uh, agape love is listed last quite often in the ancient world. You list the la- most important thing last. We tend to, in modern list, list the most important thing first. But agape love is not emotion, it's volition. It's seeking somebody else's highest good consistent with God's glory. It has nothing to do with your emotions. It has to do with your heart, your volition. You seek other people's highest good. Um, this isn't always fun. It's not quick. It's not easy. It's the opposite of self-absorption. It's the opposite of the premise, my way about my stuff and my situations must be God's way because I know God always wants me to get my way. So therefore, everybody else needs to help me get my way. And that is so messed up theologically. It's, it's just off the chart. But that's pretty much this therapeutic, moralistic deism that is being taught in modern evangelicalism. That feeds right into that. And that sounds good to many people. But it's pretty much heretical. Okay. Those are some prime characteristics that you can use as a diagnostic test to see how you're doing spiritually at any time. And hopefully you can look at that and say, I'm pretty strong in there, there, and there. Give God the glory for that. Not as strong here or there. That's Jeff, God pointing a finger at you. That's Zane, God saying, you can work on that. As you consciously do that, God's going to be empowering you to make strength, make strides in those areas you might see yourself as weak. And if you're not sure whether you're weak in an area or not, just ask your wife. And if your wife won't tell you, ask my wife. She'll tell you. She'll be glad to tell you. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, you're growing spiritually. So you are neither useless nor unfruitful in the epinosis. There's epinosis. We're talking about raw material. You've got to have in and under the word. You've got to be you know, processing scripture to get God's categories, but you've got to move it from your head to your heart. So that's really what he's getting at. Believers... Ben Harrington, Ron Miller, Brad McCoy live out the prime virtues here, verses 5 through 7. From the heart will be useful. The original Greek term means not inactive or not idle. You can have a perfectly good car and you put it into neutral. And you have, have you ever done that? And then you forgot it was in neutral and you rev it up and it, the engine revs up, but it doesn't go anywhere. Does it? And a lot of Christians are kind of stuck in neutral. Uh, and fruitful. Spiritually in the world and the church. Here's another MacArthur Study Bible nugget. Uh, when these Christian qualities are not present in a believer's life, he or she will be indistinguishable from an unbeliever. In other words, I think Howard Hendricks taught us this. When Christians are not growing spiritually, we conceal who we are and whose we are. When we are growing spiritually, we reveal who we are and whose we are, right? Uh, verse 9, let's move from prime characteristics, practical results will be fruitful, will be useful to God, to possible causes for a lack of spiritual growth uh, in believers. This is important stuff. For he or she who lacks these qualities, yeah, you know, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers. 
You know, last week we talked about Tim Tebow, and Tim Tebow is not a theologian, but he's a great athlete and was a great college football player. But he would ha- he thought I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He thought that meant playing football until he got to the NFL. Then then didn't work as well. But it wasn't talking about that. It was talking about he can have a God-like character, a Christ-like character, whether he wins or loses. I hate to say this, whether you're birdies or double bogeys. You see me make double bogeys. I don't look much like Christ when I double bogey, but I'm, I'm working on it. But here's, here's, here's Tim Tebow's book, okay? And he told me he'd give me 25 cents for every book we sold this week at TBF. So please, when you sign out of Amazon, put TBF on there, and I get 25 cents. Uh, now, one thing you would never say to Tim Tebow is, man, you need to work out. You need to get in shape. Have you seen this guy? Have you seen? He, he is in outstanding shape, right? Now he can't coast. He'll, he'll lose it. He takes two months off and he's ding-dongs all day. He won't look like that anymore. But you would never tell him he needs to work out, okay? Uh, he already works out. Uh, this is not Peter giving a list of stuff you can do to be saved. He's talking to people who are very capable of not being in good spiritual shape. Uh, Howard Hendricks told us the spiritual life is like riding a bicycle uphill. If you ever stop pedaling, you will immediately begin to lose ground. Uh, that's not possible for a real regenerate believer. Sure it is. Happens all the time. You kidding? Um, David, King David, you think he's probably regenerate? Maybe? Going to be one of the big guys in the kingdom, Jesus says, so probably probably regenerate. Uh, he went into a long spiritual decline, didn't he? So, uh, did he look like a Christian when he was fornicating with Bathsheba? If uh, BuzzFeed had had pictures of that, would you just assume he was a Christian or a believer, regenerate? Maybe not. I would say, I don't know. I'd say I don't have enough information to know. But watch this. Here's some causes for uh, a lack of spiritual growth in your life if you're a believer. The one who lacks these qualities is blind. And it's almost like, well, not blind in the fact, totally totally blind, totally unregenerate. That is short-sighted. Understand that. When I have both eyes open, I only use, use my left eye. Uh, my left eye is about 27,000. Uh, there's no reason this eye should even work anymore because I really don't use it except for a little peripheral. But it, it works. But it's got a couple of big blind spots. I've been told if I was forced, if I lost my sight and the eye I actually use, I've been told that blind spots, those blind spots would go away. I don't want to test them on that. But that they've told me multiple times. But, uh, uh, yeah, so I can see Jeff but I can't see anything to the right of him except Janice. It's just a big blind spot there. But I'm told that would go away if I needed it. But, uh, yeah, so when you talk about bad vision, I totally get that. Uh, and so, yeah, I think bad vision here is just a fuzzy spiritual perspective. And what I think trips up most American Christians that I know isn't they're going to go out and shoot drugs or murder somebody or, or fornicate, although sometimes Christians do those things. It's more like they get so many good things in their lives, they're juggling. They don't have time for the really most important things, including bringing their family to church consistently and stuff like that. And I'm an advocate for that. Always have been, was before I was a professional Christian and a pastor. That just should be a priority. You know, things happen, you can't be here, but that should be a priority. Um, and so that kind of person is, he says, fuzzy in their perspective, and that hurts you, right? And also, you could you could say like spiritual amnesia here, because this person has, at a practical level, forgotten his purification from his former sins. Unsaved people haven't been purified from their former sins. This is time to believers, man, uh, who have got to take it for granted. And it, you can do that. You know, if you've been in the faith long enough, you kind of can go, go through the motions. Uh, Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our transgressions for us. Uh, Colossians 1 says that... Uh, all of our transgression, transgressions have been forgiven as far as our status with Christ. You think about it. I mean, how many of our sins were future when Jesus died on the cross, James? How many of your sins were future? All of them. So when you trust Christ as Savior, and how many, how many of James's sins did, did Jesus die for? All of them. So as far as you're standing in Christ, how many of them are forgiven when you're regenerated? All of them. All the ones Christ died for, which is all of them. This idea that, you know, you... You're born, and then you're born again, and God just wipes the slate clean, and now you, He's gonna keep ticking your sins. If you too many, you're gonna lose your salvation. That's not, that's not what scripture says, really, in my, my opinion. Now, now we've had Calvinists 
We've had Arminians. I'm trying to uh, forge a biblical uh, balance, not because I'm trying not to get Calvinist Arminians mad at me, which I've managed to do over the years, but just yeah, I think salvation is not probation. Okay, uh, once saved, always saved. However, Christians that get so far off the reservation, I think a couple of things can happen to them: sin unto death. It's not a specific sin. But if you get so far out of fellowship, God will shorten your physical life. And something else he's going to mention in a couple of verses, so I'll save it for that. But he's saying, look, uh, it's possible for Christians to get a fuzzy spiritual perspective, get their priorities out of whack. That can cause them uh, to stop growing spiritually. Or they can just kind of uh, begin to take things for granted. Uh, MacArthur Study Bible, this kind of person, uh, though saved, and possessing all the blessings of verses 3 and 4 last week, but without the character traits of 5 through 7, will live in doubt and fear, especially if they're almost at the sin and the death point. Ryrie Study Bible, my personal favorite study Bible generally, says this about that. Um, when these qualities, the qualities of uh, 5 through 7, the moral excellence through agape love thing, uh, Without, without these qualities, a believer will be useless and unfruitful, having closed his eyes to his responsibilities and forgotten the former sins from which he was saved, at least at a pragmatic level, not at an intellectual level. So that should be convicting, because, I mean, uh, it's one thing people say, ah, you know, he's a nice guy, but he's just kind of out of, not walking with the Lord for a while. But when Peter says, you're either fuzzy in your perspective, that's not good, or you're just a total spiritual ingrate, you don't hear the word ingrate used much anymore, do you? But, I mean, you just mention the word and stuff starts falling. I mean, it's amazing. But, I mean, that's, that's pretty tough stuff. So, you don't want to, you don't want to be there. Um, so we've seen what? Prime characteristics. We've seen practical results, possible causes for lack of spiritual growth. Let's look at positive motivations. It's gonna, it's, just like any good coach, Jack, a, a coach can pat you on the head or kick you in the rear end. You know, one or the other. And it kind of depends on the team and the individuals. And Scripture does both. And to me, it's just kind of kicked us here because I, I don't want to be somebody who's basically take, taken Christ's death for me for granted. And I don't want to be fuzzy. I've, I've got enough uh, fuzzy vision with my eyes. I don't want to have fuzzy spiritual vision, right? But uh, yeah, look at verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing um, I like uh, what uh, Dr. Constable does uh, based on the syntax there. He translates this uh, to uh, demonstrate about his calling and choosing. We'll talk about that in a minute. For as long as you practice these things, what things? Verses 5 through 7, as you're, you're growing spiritually and these qualities are coming out of your life through the power of God, you're never going to stumble in your spiritual walk. You'll have a, a strong spiritual walk. And... In this way, as you continue to grow spiritually, you don't have to be a preacher or a youth minister or missionary to do this. Uh, your entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly, superlatively supplied uh, for you or to you. Uh, yeah, let's look at that. Verse 10 and 11. Notice he says, uh, Therefore, brethren, he doesn't refer to unbelievers as brethren. He's talking to believers here. He's trying to encourage them to be growing spiritually. Why is he, why is he telling them they need to be focusing on all these things, like moral excellence and love and, and knowledge and perseverance? Because some of them aren't displaying moral excellence and love and perseverance. Some of them aren't. And none of us do it perfectly. So, but notice he does, and, and invariably, they'll kind of break off the units of scripture this way. What do we see in verse five, which started this unit? Now for this very reason, because God makes it possible for your power to become a world-class Christian and your character, apply all the diligence you need to prioritize this and, and get with the program. So he starts with diligence there, Vaughn, right, in verse 5. When he gets to this last portion of this same passage, he uses the idea of diligence again to tell you he's going to repeat what he said at the beginning to kind of finish the thought. Therefore, brethren, therefore, uh, Mike and Jan and Carla uh, and Stan and Jenny and Debbie and Brad, uh, fellow Christians, be all the more diligent. Make this a priority to make certain about his calling, to demonstrate the fact that you're really a believer by the way you live, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but even on Monday morning, even on prom night. Uh, for as long as you practice these things, you're going to have a strong spiritual walk and you're going to get special 
reward in future. A couple of things here. Spiritual growth in believers will allow us to demonstrate the reality of our standing in Christ. The term used here is uh, a word that means to certify, to attest, to demonstrate. And I cited Dr. Constable, but also Rogers in the Linguistic Key of the New Testament. Uh, I know that some commentators like to stress that by living a really good Christian life, now you know you're saved. You know what? I'm not persuaded that and the reason I don't believe that is because I believe that for a long time, but I don't think those passages mean that per se. I've talked to way too many people. They're usually women who are really overachievers spiritually who have no assurance of salvation because they're so sensitive to the fact that they actually have a sin nature. And, and if I told you some of the stuff people have obsessed about that proves they're not really saved, you would probably laugh. Because these are not big things, you know, at all. But they're, they're sins, you know? And I think if you look at, do you look at yourself for salvation? How can your primary, uh, basis for assurance be looking at yourself? Okay? I don't think, I think fruitfulness in Christian life is a wonderful secondary, uh, basis for assurance. And if somebody is really out in the reservation, uh, you know, uh, they should live in doubt and fear. Because maybe they really aren't, but uh, you know, to me, I think that we look to the Savior to save us, and we look to the Savior for assurance. I mean, Jesus says, "This is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him has eternal life." I think your primary basis for personal assurance is not your own personal performance, because if you're a self-righteous jerk and you're a church lady. You can be doing all kinds of stuff off the graph, a la David, and not that won't affect you a bit because you kind of totally screen that out. But if you're hypersensitive, you'll whatever uh, you know peaked at a romance novel at the checkout line of a bookstore. This was a lady in Shreveport who thought that proved she couldn't possibly be saved. And I said, well, let me tell you, I've looked at the swimsuit issue a couple times when I shouldn't have in the checkout line. So what does that mean? Means you're totally had it, buddy. You had no chance. I said, no, I think that means I'm a red-blooded American boy, you know. But uh, my wife won't let me buy that, but so I don't do that. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but I, to me, I think the baseline for assurance is not your performance for Jesus; it's Jesus' promise to you. Saving faith is not a work, but it is a rational act. And if somebody looks me in the eye. And says, you know, I've, I've realized I was a sinner. I couldn't save myself. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior because he died for my sins and rose again. Unless you're just straight up lying to me, and I have had people straight up lie to me before. I'm not that naive. But if they're sincere, according to the Word of God, these, First John, these are written to you who have, who have believed the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. He doesn't say, look at yourself. If you live a perfect, perfect life or better than most people at your church, you're probably saved and the rest of them are going to hell. The New Testament is not a list of litmus tests that every church must obsessively hang on all day long to ensure themselves, like the Puritan said once, the famous Puritan said, uh, I'm talking to his best friend, he said, I'm really not sure any of these people in our church are saved. In fact, the only people I'm sure about are me and thee. And come to think of it, I'm not that sure about thee. But what I have dealt with as pastor is a lot of people who are not too sure about me because They've been told, if you struggle with sin, you can't really be saved. And it seems to me, struggling with sin is proof you are saved. It's ones that don't struggle with it, right? It's just like, uh, I'm the kind of person, if there's any way I can mess something up, we could be ahead 15 to nothing in a softball game, and I'm the pitcher, I'm thinking of, how many people do I have to walk to lose the game? I can't walk 19 people this inning, you know? That's, that's why I'm not a great athlete. I always thought like that, in golf, too. I mean, how many more, how many bogeys can I make and still win? And when you think like, well, I guess what, you make a bunch of double bogeys and finish tenth. You know, you were ahead in the ninth hole, but you don't get in. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, the first time as a little kid I heard about the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin! You do this one thing, you'll never, you'll, you know, you're done. I thought, I gotta find out what that is because I'm pretty sure I've probably done it. And the unpardonable sin, as you know in context, was a direct, face-to-face, categorical, absolute rejection of Jesus Christ as Savior by people who intellectually 
not gnosis, not epinosis. That's how important this stuff is. Gnosis, they knew who he was. They would not have him, right? So rejection of Jesus Christ. And I always say, if you're worried about having committed unpardonable sin, by definition, you haven't done it. Because the people who do that don't care, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that's, to me, uh, you got to primarily look at the promise of Christ and start there. And then if you look back, and if you're hypercritical, get a well-meaning but honest person in your life as a Christian or in your church. Because some people really beat them, some people beat themselves up way too much. And other people can do anything and can justify anything. They'll do all kinds of stuff. I mean, they'll prioritize all kinds of stuff, but the important stuff, and they have no problem with it. Or at least they, they, they'll eventually figure it out. Okay. Wow. Heavy theology here. Number two, spiritual growth in believers will allow us to enjoy a spiritual, strong spiritual walk and not for a stumbling limp. That's what he's saying there. You'll never stumble. This doesn't mean you won't lose your salvation. It just means you're going to have a strong walk. And then verse 11, uh, and in this way, as you continually grow spiritually, you don't have to be a pastor or youth minister or missionary, uh, you're, Entrance into the kingdom will be abundantly, superlatively applied. Here's a big, big category in the Bible. Some people don't understand very clearly, but it's big, man. Salvation is by God's grace through faith. Salvation is of the Lord. There's the set of the believers. There's the set of unbelievers. Within the set of believers, there are going to be levels of commendation and reward, like letter jackets or medals in the military, based on your level of faithfulness. Uh, under which the situations you lived in, you know? And there's also going to be levels of reward. Jesus said, hey, uh, they're going to have a worse, I mean, the Pharisees will have a worse uh, judgment than the Sodom and Gomorrah kind of stuff, you know? So going to be level of rewards. So he's just saying one reason we ought to go out of our way to prioritize spiritual growth is not just because it is God's will, that should be enough, not just because it will glorify Christ specifically and allow us to show whose we are, that ought to be enough, but he knows we're depraved, he knows we have less than absolutely perfect motives. You're also going to get a letter jacket. And I've told you, third happiest day in my life is the day I got my letter jacket. Okay, And if I could still fit into it, I'd wear it right now. I'd love it that much. It's awesome. Okay, All right, this morning, uh, we've seen a primer on spiritual growth. And let me say this. You know, last week, we said that uh, any excuses you can come up with for underachieving a spirit, spiritually may be easy, but they ain't legit, because we said last week, based on the first three, four verses of Second Peter, that God God is going to give each one of us as believers what we need so we can grow in our character regardless of our circumstances. But this is an active pursuit, not automatic pilot. It's empowered by Him, not by us. It's not just external behavior modification, but spiritual transformation from the inside out. And it will be expressed in our choices and behaviors, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays in church, but out in the real world. It's kind of like physical growth. It takes time. This morning, we've looked at the prime characteristics of, practical results of, possible causes for lack of, and some positive motivations for spiritual growth in believers. Okay, There's no good reason for any believer anywhere to settle for being a spiritual skipper. That's where we started. The little boy who grows into a man, he got into his 20s, but he died as a 27-year-old body with an 18-month-old mentality. Would you say that's not really a human being? That, he's not a human being. He never grew in his mentality. He must. He, what is he? A Klingon? He's a human being. Okay. Real believers can really underachieve. No good reason, but we can do that. So to move beyond spiritual babyhood, uh, we can't settle for shortcuts. Gimmicks, we've got to embrace a holy yet joyous discipline of being in and under the Word. And in God's power, we too must exert diligence to pursue true godliness. And I think this passage gives us a nice game plan. And it applies to every believer in the room from uh, 7 years old through 97 years old. But as our Lord teaches, if you know these things, what does he say? Blessed are you if you do them, Right? And so let's do this thing, even though it's not easy, fast, or fun. And that's one reason we need a body of believers that kind of halfway know us a little bit and we can hold us accountable, uh, because one reason you should come to church is not just to be a consumer and evaluate the, the music and the, the preaching this week. You ought to come to stimulate other people to love and good works. 
to encourage them where they're strong. When you, and you know what? Americans are a hundred times more likely to complain about something they don't like than to compliment something they do. One of your ministries as a regular, non-paid professional Christian, like me and James, is to show up for church, love the Lord, participate in worship, feed on the Word, and find somebody you can brag on. Catch somebody doing something good, right? Encourage them. Encourage the ones that are growing. And then, uh, you know, I've always said me and James and even the elders are kind of like coaches. You know, your coaches always tell you to hustle in the drills and try harder and keep working and it's going to get you better. But when, when, when one of your teammates sees you go on half speed, when one of your teammates sees you missing practice, and one of your teammates, a real person, says, hey, Brad, kind of get with the program, man. You've got to show up on time. You've got to give it 100%. When a teammate tells that to you, that means 100 times more than the coach. A coach is supposed to complain, right? So realize that's one reason we get together. So we have this kind of community that incubates spiritual growth, right? Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you call us, every one of us, to grow, to be useful and fruitful, not just people in vocational ministry or missionaries. Every one of us. And it's a challenge, but it's a wonderful opportunity. You're going to empower us, and you give us these kind of passages so we can do kind of the personal gut checks between ourselves and you uh, that you can use to stimulate us. And also help us to realize not, let's not come to church in it with a passive, uh, critical, let's find something we don't like or we complain about, or let's come and, and just kind of receive, and it's all about us getting something, either uh, getting excited about the worship or excited about something we've learned in the Bible. Help us to realize we're, we're coming to encourage other people in their faith. And sometimes when the setting's right and we've got the connection with a person that makes it uh, a legitimate, Sometimes it's it's to kindly critique people in a positive way, one-on-one, where, where people are going half speed. So help us realize it's a very much designed to be an interactive environment, not just people coming to hear Brad speak and watch James sing. It's to, for us to interact and stimulate one another for to love and good deeds. And I pray you'd empower that and be glorified in that process and the product of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.